0: Hey, Kalen, what's going on? Is this part of the show? Yeah. Is this the new segment you were telling me about? Kalen turns off the screensaver, leaves his guest hanging, makes all sort of creaking noises in the background. You're not cutting any of this shit out, by the way. Oh, now he's walking away from the room, folks.
1: On this episode, I'm joined by long-standing friend Ryan McIntyre and we talk about his intro into music and his progression into new genres by getting rid of old hang-ups. Be sure to listen to the links included so you can hear the music that we're talking about. So sit back, sip your poison, and enjoy the ride. I'm Caelan Capson and this is the Peg and Place Podcast.
0: that I'm your first non-performer. No, no. Well, I was kind of nervous about this. I'm not afraid to say it just because I, uh, I'm i coming to this purely as a music fan. So I chose my songs to maybe provide a little easy-bake-oven narrative to, uh, to what we're going to be talking here yeah. today about. <laughs> <laughs> Starting with Peter and the Wolf, um, it's not only like something that I benefited from because of its intentional instruction, but it's also the first thing that I remember being excited about musically, like my entire life. My parents weren't particularly musical. My mom's a big fan of music. My dad's likes music. He's not a sociopath, but he's pretty indifferent about it. He, you know, never collected it or anything like that. But they bought me one of the Disneyland story read and listen records when I was a kid. And I had it out of my grandmother's where, uh, where my record player was. And I'd listen to it obsessively. And the thing about it is, is that it starts out with a narrator telling you that each instrument that you're going to hear is associated with a character in the story. And as the story is being told the voices of the characters are essentially the musical instruments. So it was a way to connect children to classical music and instruct them on how musical instruments stand in for tone and can actually create like plot and story. I think it was part of Disney's, uh, you know, that extended it to Fantasia and And that sort of thing as well, which was also kind of bringing classical music to children in an instructive, but also like entertainment type way. So I had the book and I had the record that came with the book, but Disney had also animated the story and it would appear occasionally on Sunday afternoons in the wild, wide world of Disney on CBC. Oh yeah, I remember that. And a lot of cool stuff came up on Sunday afternoon when we were kids. A lot of stuff to be excited for. KCF Bat was one of my also, like, all-time favorites, but nothing trumped Peter and the Wolf. I, I get so excited.
1: I've never seen the full one, but I do remember Disney, th- they would have, again, on Sunday afternoons, but it would be, like, snippets of shows. Like, there would be a main theme for the full episode, but it would just be little
0: bits of each of their movies or cartoons or stuff to explain Right. Extrapolate that idea and with like Casey at Bat and Peter and the Wolf they actually already fit those time constraints naturally um i don't think disney did a full animation for the full like opus 67 of peter and the wolf uh, okay uh, you know the the album itself the if you listen to like david bowie's peter and the wolf you know it's much longer than the presentation that disney so that wasn't even something that would have been pared down and clipped up. So it kind of all started there with me. like, And I, didn't, I honestly didn't realize that until I was an adult. It was something that was always there. I always knew that Peter and the Wolf was there somewhere in my past. And I knew it was something I was excited about. But I was a grown man before I realized that I had been hoodwinked by Disney into liking <laughs> classical music. The whole thing is really designed to trick kids. And, you know, it's not the children's story we'd be telling today. That's for sure. It's an old yeah. Russian fairy tale. It's pretty bloody and brutal, but uh, Disney cleaned it up a little bit and history has done the rest. <laughs> <laughs> now it's not something we show our kids. want to remember
1: first was Flight of the Bumblebee. Yep. Yeah. So
0: what context did you see that in? Probably
1: Sunday afternoon, just watching Disney.
0: Okay, so now I'm not familiar with it. I'm familiar with Flight of the Bumblebee, but what did they do? It was just a
1: bumblebee going around, getting caught up in the storm, and it gets caught up in wind, and then running for flying, I guess, away from wasps, maybe at one point.
0: I'd have to watch it again. It's been a long time, but... Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. It's something I'm sure I would know, but I'm not familiar with. And
1: I can't even say for sure if it was on Fantasia or if it
0: was just a standalone
1: thing. I really don't know.
0: Well, as we're talking here, I remember also that uh, the Care Bears did a two-part Christmas special in which they kind of do a similar thing, not nearly as subtle, with uh, the Nutcracker. I vaguely remember that episode. Yeah, it's basically the whole thing, but played out kind of in a double entendre because there is actually a performance of the Nutcracker, but then the kids and some of the caregivers actually go into this like world where the Nutcracker is being played out. Yeah, and I remember that. I loved it when I was a kid, but if you would have sat me down and explained to me that oh, this is a ballet, I probably would have been like, no, I'm not watching. I'm this out. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of sort of what my list is somewhat centered around too, is my own evolution with music and how I came to it with no judgment whatsoever and then learned responses to certain genres of music Mm. and became this pretentious asshole in like junior high school about the things that I liked and the things that you liked and one was wrong and one was right. (laughs) I do wonder where it it came from, because I think back to the blurb that you got me to record for the uh, promos for this podcast. I think about that often, actually. And what I said was that I like music because it connects me to a place in time and a place in history. And that's true. That is my favorite thing about music is it's this tap that we have into our memories, it's, uh, you know, it's more than just like remembering something because you have this sense memory that goes along with it and it really can put you back in a time and place has a sort of time machine effect. But that's sort of only half the story because going along with that is the fact that as I'm evolving and changing, there's always been something there to relate to. Musically, there's always been, no matter what I'm going through, something... Something that's also happening that uh, can be likened to or, or related to in some way. Some important way. This is the story of Peter
2: and the Wolf. Each character in this tale is going to be represented by a different instrument of the orchestra. For instance, the bird will be played by the flute, like this. Here's the duck, played by the oboe. The cat, by the clarinet. The bassoon will represent Grandfather. (laughs) The wolf. The French horns and Peter by the strings. blast of the hunter's shotguns, played by the kettledrums and now this is how things stood. The cat was sitting on one branch not too close to the cat And the wolf walked round and round the tree looking at them with greedy eyes. In the meantime, Peter, without the slightest fear, stood behind the closed gate, watching all that was going on. He ran home, got a strong rope, and climbed up the high stone wall, One of the branches of the tree, around which the wolf was walking, stretched out over the wall. Grabbing hold of the branch... Peter lightly climbed over onto the tree. Peter said to the bird, fly down and circle round the wolf's head, only take care that he doesn't catch you. touched the wolf's head with his wings while the wolf snapped angrily at him from this side and that. Teased the wolf. How that wolf wanted to catch him. But the bird was clever. And the wolf simply couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Peter made a lasso. And carefully letting it down. And, down and down, caught the wolf by the tail and pulled with all his might. Feeling himself caught the wolf began to jump wildly, trying to get loose. But Peter... Tied the other end of the rope to the tree. And the wolf's jumping only made the rope round his tail tighter.
0: I recently reached a point in my life where I'm kind of going back on some genres. Well, it happened with country a while ago. And more recently, it's happened with pop music where I'm like, oh, I've had this like really shitty attitude about some of these genres. And what I really should have had was a shitty attitude about bad music in general, because obviously Mm. there's a lot of garbage pop and garbage country music out there. But what I was ignoring was somehow subconsciously, you know, there's also a lot of garbage rock music and a lot of garbage alternative and all of the forms of music that I was traditionally enamored with. Yeah. There's plenty of shit to go around. (laughs) It's basically a giant shit sandwich and there's, you know, some gems sitting in amongst all that shit, no matter what the genre.
1: I think that's more the case now too, though. ...than ever before because of how easy it is to record and put your own music out there? Oh,
0: for sure. Which isn't bad. But it was always... It was always the case. There was always good country music out there when I was... I remember this time. We were little assholes in elementary and junior high school and we would, you know, just start random conversations with people in our neighborhood just because we didn't have a filter... And I saw these three dudes waiting for a cab around the corner from my house, and I asked them where they were going, which was totally rude to begin with, but they were going to see... Did Garth Brooks come to St. John?
1: Yeah, I do remember Garth Brooks coming. Okay,
0: so I'm almost positive it was that show. And uh, when they told me, I started chirping them for it. And they said to me, Oh, don't worry, you'll get it someday. We used to think country music was lame, too. Now, they were half right. (laughs) Because I still, like... I mean, I don't have anything specifically against Garth Brooks. I actually think his stuff is pretty catchy. But
1: have you listened to any of the Chris Gaines stuff? No, I haven't. Because that's the tour that he was on. Okay, I remember. I haven't listened to it either, but I've read up on it, and people are constantly making reference to that being the Garth. Don't don't listen to any other Garth Brooks until you've heard that album, kind of a thing. So I, I can't judge it yet either because I haven't listened to it. But
0: I mean, it's uh, it'll be worth checking out with my new newfound open-mindedness for sure Mm. Um, okay so I have no point of reference for that but I do think that's a very interesting thing that he did it's very interesting not just experiment musically but when you put it in the context of country music and then popular country music like where he was in his career when he did that I bet you he lost about as many country fans as he did gained non-country fans like i bet you there was about a one-to-one ratio on that because that was not a traditional thing for him to do in a no especially the concept album yeah
1: nature of it like i mean i'm not well versed in country so maybe it has been done before but not to my
0: knowledge anyway and there always tends to be a backlash would this be an okay time to introduce my second song yeah because it's probably appropriate at this point in our conversation. Oh, totally. It's about that kind of backlash. Um, So this song appears on Bob Dylan's self-titled album at the beginning of his career, and it's called A Song to Woody, and it's a song that he wrote to Woody Guthrie about how influential Woody Guthrie was in his coming up, and his coming famous. He basically obsessed over Woody Guthrie, obsessed over his music, and obsessed over his writing style, and more importantly, his life, like what drove Woody Guthrie to write the type of protest songs that he wrote. And what Bob Dylan understood that basically the whole of folk music didn't understand back then was what Woody Guthrie was writing about was something very... Specific to his time and place in the world. And Bob Dylan wasn't going to live through the Dust Bowls. That wasn't on the table as an option, for one thing. But he also says at the end of this song, the last thing that I would want to find is that I've been traveling some hard roads too, something to that effect. He's saying, I don't want to live through the Dust Bowls. In part, how we got past all of these crooked bankers and to a more humane society was because of the type of protest folk music that Woody Guthrie was playing. I have moved on with the rest of the world. I can't be playing this music anymore. Mm. And buried in that is this heartbreaking notion that Bob Dylan loves the folk music that Woody Guthrie was playing. And moving on, putting that in his rear view, is painful for him. He says... In the second course of the song I'm leaving tomorrow but I could leave today which I just got choked up saying those words it's this idea that like he knows that the future of protest music and the future of folk music lies in a different place and so he's going to have to go to that place and it means leaving behind everything that brought him there which is not just a metaphor that we can all use in our lives. That's the American dream. Like, in a nutshell, that's the whole problem with American exceptionalism and the whole concept behind their, you know, financial system and stuff like that is this whole field of dreams concept of the future always being brighter and anybody can do anything and you always have to move forward and... Stuck in that is this traditional idea of the American dream that holds you into the past Dylan would have been super young when he wrote those lyrics for him to understand A lot of people don't understand that Living your dream and under and actually making your dreams a reality means almost always moving forward and Leaving yourself rooted in the places that you have to go to move forward, even though there's this wonderful idea of traditionalism and this wonderful idea of staying true to yourself, it's necessary to move forward. Like, it's necessary to to switch things up or to live your own truth, and in Dylan's case, he was ostracized for that. Like, there was a huge fallout the first time he picked up an electric guitar. Oh, yeah. The whole folk community turned on him, and... It wasn't just that they were angry, they were heartbroken too. There's this thing about Dylan though that is
1: almost, I don't want to say everything he does, but a lot of the message that he gives out, it it is about that. So many of his songs are about moving forward or struggling to move forward or trying to move away from, or just your own heartstrings, trying to cut those heartstrings so you don't fall back into those old habits that you're trying to.
0: Oh, I I agree completely. And I think it's, People like him who get that message at an early level that it's not okay to just, like, stay in one place who are the most successful. There is a societal pull to keep the status quo. Hmm. It's It happened back then with folk music where, like, you know, you weren't folk unless you played with an acoustic guitar. It was a stringent... Irrational rule. It was an irrational rule. It didn't It didn't make sense. It only made sense when you didn't have electricity. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that made sense to the original folk guys. There's nothing wrong with taking the ideas of protest and fighting the establishment and evolving that with the evolution of musical instruments. And there is something, I think, specifically wrong and specifically strangling about Applying those rules so stringently because you're, you're not you're not letting the art form evolve naturally, but you're also not being true to the art form. Um, I'm gonna go totally 180 on this, but uh, we've both been watching that new David Chang show, Ugly Delicious. Ugly Delicious, yeah. um, and there's that really awesome episode about pizza and about how the traditional. Neapolitan pizza has to be done with specific ingredients in a specific way. All of these hard, fast rules that make a traditional pizza a traditional pizza. But then what they explore in the show is this idea that those ingredients are only amazing in their freshest form. So that's all fine and good to have those rules in Italy. But if you're making a pizza in Korea, you're going to switch up the formula because to use ingredients that have to be shipped from Italy and are by their very nature not the freshest possible ingredients is to the detriment of the recipe. Mm. To follow rules just for the sake of following rules and to not think in a logical way about why those rules exist I think is the problem specifically with this pizza but also with what we're we've been discussing in regards to
1: well look at how like blues and stuff progressed right so that was like this slow but steady progression as opposed to the people that stole from blues and like because blues was like folk music back in the day it was on acoustic guitars as soon as electric guitars became available and people could afford them, at least that I've looked into it, there's not a whole lot of kickback from the fans of those old like slave songs being converted to, you know, cigar box guitar with two strings that was changed into a guitar because now this guy moved up he could afford a guitar, so he started playing an acoustic guitar and then eventually moved on to an electric guitar once they could afford it, or the, the label gave them an electric guitar. There was no or if there was, it wasn't spoken of, or there was very little kickback, the progression of blues music. Whereas folk music, which was the same thing, slightly different perspective in hindsight. I mean, it wasn't, it was the same thing. But then it halted. There was like these these weird gaps where it didn't progress naturally for a very long time, I think. It kind of got stuck in that rut. Predominant. I don't want to say white western music but that's kind of what evolved as folk music for a long time mm-hmm. and then uh, black music because they had a different history than a lot of people kind of went down a particular road but the progression of it was much more natural it wasn't halted the way that a lot of folk music was when the blues evolved nobody was like oh man that's not our music what are you doing why why are you playing an electric guitar all of a sudden Whereas when Bob Dylan switched to an electric, everyone was in an uproar. And now, which is weird, really
0: weird. When if- you say folk music, synonymous with that is Bob Dylan, I don't go, hey, do you like folk? And you think immediately of Pete Seeger. You think of Bob Dylan because mm. that's where folk music was going naturally. And he had the courage to follow it. Yeah, exactly absolutely
1: i wonder if record labels had a hand in holding music back because when radio was a big thing and they were pulling in artists much like radio is now they would be like oh what do people want to hear so i wonder if that's something that held back whereas a lot of blues developed in a much more underground sort of scheme kind of on its own and was sort of left to its own devices there might be something there
3: There's no reason to look on at- this